um, last week we saw in Psalm 1, that happiness is possible. Maybe it was a shock, maybe it was new, but we saw that happiness is possible. And in Psalm 2 this afternoon, we see that happiness is found in God's King. But the heart of unhappiness is saying no to God's way in our lives. Firstly, then, we're going to see the world hates God's rule. The world hates the idea of being constrained and oppressed. Today's culture, you see it all the time, don't you? It, the world is obsessed with freedom, with self-expression, being who you are and what you want to be is the most important thing. You can be anything you want. That's what the world says. That's the value the world holds up. I'm going to speak at a university in a couple of weeks and they sent me through this 10-page document of things that I've got to read, clarify and sign up for before I go. And here's the first couple of principles for you. Number one, freedom of expression and speech are basic human rights to be protected by law. Number two, open debate is central to the culture of academic freedom. I keep reading through the principles, I'm going on and on, and it says, it says this, the freedom to express views can sometimes be tempered by the need to secure freedom for students and communities. See, as I read through this document, the irony suddenly dawns on me. It's a 10-page document of rules saying how this university holds up freedom above all things. Here's the key part of this document that really got to me. They want to guard against what they call proselytization, which I had no idea what they were getting at. I, I know the word proselyte, but here's what they say it is. Um, the practice of an external third party by preaching, agitating or cajoling to persuading an individual into accepting a particular way of thinking or acting. See, the university wants its students to be completely free except from anything that constrains what they do, except from accepting God's rules, it seems. See, as we come here to Psalm 2, you can easily see the cry of verse 3. Have a look at verse 3. Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The context of Psalm 2 here is that this world, in the world of Psalm 2, they're breaking against and complaining against the seeming constraints of what was most likely King David, a king that was installed by God, who wanted to rule God's way. We hate God's rule over our life. We do. Something deep within us doesn't like the rule over our life. Something deep within us says God's way 
is oppressive. God's way constrains my freedom. And you see it sometimes played out in the language of Christians. Oh, I can't drink because I'm a Christian. I can't have sex before I get married because I'm a Christian. I can't go chasing after my career because I'm a Christian. It communicates deep down something of resentment against God's way. It communicates that we think God's way is oppressive. And that's because the heart of sin is saying, I am my own. A man called George MacDonald once wrote that the central conviction of people in hell is, I am my own. That is a one conviction that everyone in hell shares. Nobody rules me. Nobody tells me what to do. But not only is that the conviction of all that are in hell, it's the conviction that is guaranteed to give a taste of hell in this earth. I am my own. Let's break these chains, verse 3. Let's throw these shackles off. Let's say, I belong to no one. It's exactly what we saw last week. People who look to find happiness in their own desires and their own pursuits and their own schemes, in reality, they're, in the end, met with emptiness. The heart of this saying is, I will do it my way. Don't know if you've ever um, been part of or listened in on a discussion about a song at a funeral. It seems it used to be the case that at funerals, um, the songs that people chose were reflective, quite quiet. I recently um, heard a discussion about a song choice that was to reflect something of that person's character. And I listened in on this discussion, and it was quite interesting. They chose the song, I Did It My Way. They said, this woman, she was bold, she was brash, but you know what? She did it her way. And they just held it up as a brilliant thing. They were praising her character. She did it her way. But the reality is that's the driver of most people's lives, isn't it? I'll do it my way. I am my own. Verse 3, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. It's so reflected in our culture today. It's remarkable that the ultimate in our culture seems to be self-expression and freedom. You can be whoever you want to be. Yet the only freedom that is really under fire is the freedom to submit to God's way. Have a look at verse 2. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord. It seems like sometimes the only thing the rest of our culture can agree on is against living in a way that submits to God's rule. But that is exactly what we should expect. That is what we should expect to see of our culture. But here's the thing, we shouldn't just expect it to be out there. We shouldn't just say, this is the problem of our culture. We should keep watch and recognise it can so quickly become a problem in our own heart. 
It's a problem that so easily manifests itself in wrong desires, in wrong attitudes. It's wrong attitudes because we should know that God's way is the way we will be most happy. We should know that the right way to pursue happiness is doing things God's way. His way is the way we will have most satisfaction. Not trying to cut him out of the picture. When we feel like God doesn't want us to have fun in relationships and in social occasions, we've got it wrong. When we feel like it's not that important what we do when no one's watching, when we know no one will find out, we've got it wrong. When we feel like being a Christian means that we shouldn't want to be happy, we shouldn't have a right desire for happiness, we've got it wrong. Because that is essentially saying, God, I don't want your shackles. God, I am my own. Because what we're saying is that God's way isn't the best way for us. I wonder, will you watch out for the sin inside you that says holiness is optional? Will you watch out for the sin inside you that says, I'll be happiest when living not God's way? What can you do? What practical thing can you do to keep an eye out on that? Because the world hates God's rule and something deep within us is tempted to do the same. But God's king will rule. The context of Psalm 2 is that it would have been read at the coronation of the king of Israel. This was written at a time when the ruler was anointed. Throughout the Old Testament where we see God's anointed king, they're often met with opposition. But God, time after time, watched over his people. But have a look at verse 4. God is not threatened by the apparent threat to his rule. The one enthroned in heaven laughs, the Lord scoffs, he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them with his wrath. See, as we look at our culture, the things that appear to threaten God's way today, they're laughable to God. They won't really threaten him, ultimately. He simply rebukes and terrifies those who stand against him. We looked in the summer uh, a series of stories, didn't we? Everyone loves a good story. And one ingredient to a brilliant story is a good hero. And sometimes we see a good hero is a good king. Take Robin Hood, for example. Good King Richard gets taken captive and in comes the evil Sheriff of Nottingham. Robin Hood gets his gang together to both try and fight against the tactics uh, the taxes of the time, but ultimately his aim is to instill good King Richard again. He gets his merry men together and ultimately gets Richard back in place. See, there's a good king back in place and the people want to go under him. They want to serve him because he's a good king and he has a good reign. Why is it that something appeals to us about a great king that people submit to? 
is because deep down in our very DNA, something is imprinted on us. A desire to worship something bigger than ourselves and take real joy in seeing that is the best thing for us. In 2 Samuel 7, it describes God's promise to this king that's being instilled, King David, that through him he will establish a kingdom that will last forever. These words speak first of God's appointment, King David, but there's a promise to what's going to come. A promise to his people of a new king in the future. See, while we see that this spoke of God's anointed king at the time, in its imagery and its description here in Psalm 2, clearly it finds its ultimate fulfilment in God's anointed king of all time. Just listen to this. This is 2 Samuel 7, and it's God's promise to David. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will, who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. Recognise that in verse 7? This is pointing to Jesus, who was born from David's own flesh and blood. King Jesus, who rules with no threat on his reign. He is awesome and untouchable and yet terrifying at the same time. See there, verse 9. There, in the midst of the description of what this king will be like, verse 9, you will break them with a rod of iron. It's quoted later on in the Bible, in Revelation. And it describes a picture of what Jesus will do at the end of the world. See, if you're in any doubt this afternoon about how awesome this ruling king is, if you're in any doubt about how amazing it will be to submit to him, just listen to this in Revelation 19. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. What an awesome picture. God's king will rule. We must then submit to the king. This picture is awesome. It's inspiring as we take on something of the imagery of what's going to happen. But notice here in Psalm 2 the instruction. Verse 10, Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned. Because this news of this king that will rule is both awesome and terrifying. Look at verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. 
um, we heard a couple of weeks ago a story from um, how the beavers talk about Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia. We heard it recently, I know, but as the beavers there are talking about Aslan, and Lucy, I think it is, asks Aslan, well, what he, what's he like? Is he safe? And they say, safe? No. No one said anything about safe. But he is good. And see there, where the beavers talk about Aslan and his possible return, they're both thrilled at the prospect of him coming, but terrified. Verse 12 is key then for recognising how Psalm 1 and 2 come together. The life of the wicked person that continues to try and find satisfaction in self, that says God's ways are oppressive, that wants free from his shackles, that says, I am my own. Well, ultimately, that leads to God's anger being stored up. See there that picture in verse 12? He will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction, just as it talked about in Psalm 1. The reality is that this king is awesome, but is terrifying. Because as he rules with an iron scepter, he will rule and reign even over those who stand against him. God's king will rule in judgment. So then what is true happiness from Psalm 1 and 2? Well, blessed is the one who finds their righteous status in his work, the work of God's king that we saw last week, who finds refuge in him. Blessed is the one who delights in submitting to him. For the Lord watches over that person. That's what verse 12 says. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. That word again, blessed, could be translated happy. You will be happy when you submit. See, that is exactly what the world rejects. The world rejects that this submission is the happiest we'll be, the, the best thing that we could possibly have. But what this psalm says is actually, when we go after living God's way, when we submit to God's king, that is when we'll be most happy. That is the most happy we could possibly be. See, we have two great desires in this life. Firstly, we need to feel that we count, that we're accomplishing something with this life. And secondly, we need to feel that we're loved, that we're really valued by someone. You see those two things play out in the breakdown of friendships, in the breakdown of relationships all the time, when people feel like they don't count, when people feel like they're not loved. But you see, when we serve the true king, in the words of verse 12, when we kiss his son, and only then will we have these two needs satisfied. 
Only then will we find true happiness, when we lift our eyes to the awesome King Jesus. I wonder, will you submit to God's King? Will you, as you approach him, have a right fear and trembling of God's awesome rule? Will it be him that you take refuge in, in tough times and in times that are good? Will you fill your heart and minds with the truth about him? Will it be his ways that govern your decisions? Because we must submit to the king. We hate God's rule, we do, because we don't recognise our own sin and we want to live in our own way. That's exactly the heart of sin. It's exactly how the devil tempted Adam and Eve. He made them doubt God's goodness and he made them doubt God's authority. But God is in complete control. God's king will rule. And actually, that is the best thing for us. When we choose to serve him and submit to him, it is then that we will find happiness and satisfaction. It is that that we should chase our happiness for. when we recognise God's absolute authority, the petrifying reality of his coming judgement, we'll have one, one odd mix of words there, a trembling celebration. We'll celebrate his rule with trembling. We'll be happy as we take refuge in him. Verse 12. I wonder then, as we close, will you lift your eyes to this king? Will you see how awesome and amazing he is? Will you see how his reign is the very best thing we could have in place over our lives? Will you not settle for saying, let us break his chains? Will you not settle for saying, throw off his shackles? Will you not let that wrong idea of God's rule and reign over our life stay in our mind. But will you chase after and submit to King Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we're so sorry that so often we get it completely wrong and forget that your way is the very best way. Father, we're sorry that we say, throw off these shackles, throw off these chains. Father, please would you help us to see that your way is the very best way that we could possibly have. Father, might we today submit to King Jesus. Please would you help us to do that every day. Help us to take refuge Help us to have trembling. Might we have a right view of your king. Amen. And we're going to sing together. And our song...
does exactly that. It sings about our great king and it's a call to one another. Let's rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. 